Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Chronicles of Curiosity. My name is Mason, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Katie. Uh, today, we're going back in time to look at some of the most brutal and infamous torture devices and methods throughout the medieval period. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, just a, a real quick warning. Obviously, this topic is going to get pretty brutal, but if you clicked on the episode, you probably already know what you're in for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get into our topic today, is there anything you've been curious about this week? This week, I've been talking a lot about books by Ruth Ware. So for anyone that, like, the name might be jogging your memory, but you can't think of any of her books, uh, she wrote The Woman in Cabin 10, In a Dark, Dark Wood, The Turn of the Key. Um, So I read my first ever Ruth Ware book last weekend, and I read One by One. I could not recommend that book enough. It was so good. Have you ever read? You read The Woman in Cabin 10, right? Yeah, that's the only book I've read by her, though. I think you should read, I think you'd like one by one. It was really, really good. It was about um, this, so it's this um, like mountainside resort. It's a skiing resort up in the French Alps. And this, um, there's a company team that goes up for like a little group resort week long thing. Like a team building exercise. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Rope course, but ex- the extreme version. Yes. And uh, well, things go wrong. Things go very, very wrong. Do people die? Yes. Yeah. And that's not a spoiler. That's in the that's in the description. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you haven't read that, I highly recommend it. I gave it five out of five stars. And uh, I think today I'm going to start The Lying Game by oh. Ruth Ware. Yeah. I, I didn't, like I was telling you a couple days ago, I didn't know that she had so many books out. Yeah, I didn't either. Like yeah. when I read The Woman in Cabin 10, I mean, that was quite a few years ago now, but mm-hmm. I uh, kind of assumed that it was one of her first books. I think In a Dark, Dark Wood was her first one. And then A Woman in Cabin 10 was her second? I'm not sure. I don't know if that was her second or if The Turn of the Key was her second. Oh, okay. Not sure. But at this point, I am planning to read all of her books. Yeah. It was that good. Yeah. So I immediately, like the day that I finished one by one, I went to the library and picked up two more of her books. Nice. Like I went in specifically to the section where she was, picked up two of her books and walked out. I mean, I checked out. I I checked the books out. You stole the books. And did not steal the books. You can check. I have the email confirming that I checked them out. Can you steal a book from a library though? I mean, I guess you can because if you just don't return it, then you're- Why would you? Yeah. You're just borrowing it. Yeah. Be honest about it. Anyway. Um, so I, I was reading a story a couple weeks ago about somebody who racked up like an enormous amount in uh, library. What's it called? Um, um, like late fees? Yeah, late fees, late fees. Um, and it was like, it was something ridiculous. It was like over 30 grand. Whoa. Um, and uh, the library, the, guy, the person didn't know that the book was checked out. It was just like on the shelf. And oh, it was just one book? It was just one book. Mm. And I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but I think... Uh, the person passed away and their grandchild or, 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 or son or daughter um, found the book on the shelf and was like, hey, this has a library slip in it. Oh, and man. it's still dated and it looks like it was checked out and never returned. So just for shits and giggles, they took it to the library. Yeah. And they looked it up and yeah, sure enough, it was like thousands and thousands of dollars back order. Um, but I think that the library ended up pardoning. Like waving. Yeah, the like waving fees. the um, waving the fees mm. as like a gesture to the yeah. family which of course i mean you know I, I don't think any library would expect you to pay that i mean it's an honest mistake right yeah well yeah you've been curious about anything this week yeah i've been uh thinking a lot about running jogging that sort of thing katie's making a, a i'm making a cringe face, face but... i don't particularly love exercise <laughs> or running i'm bad at running i have asthma so that's my excuse but it's also just not fun carry on 
Yeah, so I, I've been thinking, I've been wanting to get back into running lately, and um, I've been watching some stuff on how to kind of ramp up, like, training, ramp up mm-hmm. running for distance and things like that. And my biggest factor with that is just, like, finding the motivation to do it. Yeah. It, it's not the time necessarily, because I could carve out time in the morning or, or, or whatnot or, mm-hmm. or after, you know, in the evening. But it's just when I could be running, I could also be doing sleeping other. Well, not. Yeah. Sleeping you in could the be morning, sleeping. in the morning. Yeah, especially. Yeah. Um, but no, I, you know, you could just be doing like anything else. So it's really just about, you know, kind of getting out there and, and just doing it. Yeah. But if any of you listening have any tips on how to uh, kind of gain motivation in that sense, um, to where you could kind of be consistent mm-hmm. in a running schedule. If any of you have had success with that, let me know because I'm curious and I, I'm definitely open to suggestions yeah. for that. I'm trying to find something that works and we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people say that running is very therapeutic for them. It's a good stress reliever and it kind of gives them some time to like think if they want it or they can check out. So I feel like that'd be good for you. Yeah. I like yeah. enjoy that. And, and it, I mean – Exercise in general and, and, and running especially is great for managing like stress and anxiety levels mm-hmm. and um, managing uh, mood fluctuations, just mm-hmm. to make, you know, making sure you just kind of balance. And I mean, it's also good for your health, of course. Yeah. Um, but sometimes that's almost like a like a separate thing. It's like, oh, well, I do it for my mental health, but it's actually also good for my body. Yeah. It's like a little bonus. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's what I've been thinking about this week, and I'll okay. probably continue thinking about that for the next couple weeks because, again, I'm just trying to find that, find a rhythm that yeah, I can get find into with that. I have the shoes, but I don't have the groove. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but let's uh, jump into our main topic for this week. Uh, there were so many things that I could have covered within the subject of medieval torture, um, so I, I decided to keep it as focused as possible, and I've completed a list of my top five most interesting torture methods from uh, the medieval period. Yeah, maybe, you, yeah, maybe not top five. Well, when you say interesting, how, like how like how gross this is going to be? Like um, really gross? I'll try and dial it back a little bit. I mean, okay. you could go pretty extreme. But I'll, I'll again, I'll, I'll dial it back just right. a little. But I, I, I don't, and I don't mean top five as in like I think I, these are objectively good or, or the best in any way. What an odd thing to say. I, no, I, I, that's exactly what I, yeah, yeah. I don't want it to come across that way. Yeah, it's just no. things that I find interesting. I mean, it was a, it was brutal time and there were some brutal methods that yeah. were used. Yeah. So when you say interesting, you mean from, from a, like a, like a what the fuck perspective? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, just a, a, in a in a morbid curiosity type of way. Okay. Um, I mean that is what the show is about. Pretty much. So yes. I'm sorry to all you listeners. I was curious about this, and here we are. Okay. So here we go. We're along for the ride. Yeah. You and yeah. me both, friends. Uh, either way, I'm going to be counting them down from five to one. One being the worst. One being my, the most interesting in my mind, not okay. necessarily right. the worst. Okay. Yeah. Um, but before that, I just wanted to give a little context. The medieval period, also known as the Middle Ages or Dark Ages, was a period of history lasting from the fall of the Roman Empire in 476 and ended during the beginning of the Renaissance era in the 15th century. So a long, long, long period of time there yeah. would be considered the Middle Ages or Dark Ages. The period was, among you know, many things, marked by violence, wars, poverty, disease, think the Black Death, mm-hmm. bubonic plague, 
Um, if things weren't bad enough already, this period also saw the invention and implementation of some of the craziest torture methods oh, here uh, we go. the world had ever and, and hopefully will ever see. Fingers crossed. Okay. Some of these are the worst. Oh, so boy. let's uh, let's just get get right into these here. Okay. All right. Number five, the Judas Cradle. And and you may have heard of some of these. I sure um, have not. You probably haven't heard of this one, but you you when I describe some of these things, you'll probably be able to picture exactly okay. what they were. Okay. Um, the Judas Cradle, also known as the Judas Chair or the Judas Seat, was a disturbing and painful torture device used during the middle centuries. Uh, the device derived its name, of course, from the biblical biblical figure Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus Christ. Um, it was mostly used in Europe from the 14th to the 18th century, uh, although it's been known to have been used in Near East Asia as well. Um, the sources I used, I think, said Turkey, Azerbaijan, and um, that general area mm. would have been the Persian Empire. Okay. It was also found there. Um, so it consisted of a pyramid-shaped seat made of wood or metal, and the apex, the, the tip, uh, of the pyramid was sharp and tapered, allowing for easy penetration oh, of dear. the victim's body. Oh, dear. So the device's base was attached to a sturdy frame and secured to the ground to keep it stable during use. Uh, to inflict the torture, uh, the victim would be undressed and placed above the pyramid, and then rope ropes or restraints were then used to secure the person in place, uh, ensuring that they remained balanced on the tip of the seat. Oh, man. Uh, the torturer or torturers would then apply pressure to force the victim's body to gradually, gradually stretch and impale itself on the pointed tip. Yucky. Um, I mean, of course, it would cause immense pain from the tip itself. Right. Because it was like sharpened, right? Right, right. Okay. It was, yeah. Um, so the person's body weight would be pressed down onto this narrow tip and Eesh. sometimes it would be jagged as well. Oh my goodness. Uh, this aspect of the torture could last for hours or even days, um, oh. depending on the severity. And a lot of these are all depending on the severity of the victim's crimes right. or the torturer's desires. Ew. Yeah. So. Sick freaks. The Judas Cradle was invented to cause severe physical harm and intense psychological distress. As the victim's body weight sank further onto the pointed apex, it would gradually penetrate various or orifices. Mm. This penetration often led to in injuries, including torn tissue, internal damage, and sometimes even death just from this portion of the torture. Um, additionally, the extended period spent in such an uncomfortable and painful position would result in muscle cramps, circulation issues, and excruciating muscle and joint pain. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I can see that. Infections were also uh, one of the biggest risks with this as the device's unsanitary conditions and the victim's oh. open wounds would provide a breeding ground for bacteria. Oh, freaking ew. Yeah, just to make things worse here. Uh, the primary purpose of the Judas Cradle was to extract confessions or punish individuals accused of crimes, um, especially heresy or perceived oh. heresy. The physical agony inflicted by the device aimed to force victims into confessing as they sought relief from the excruciating pain. Uh, the psychological impact of Judas Cradle, of the Judas Cradle, along with the other devices that we will be talking about today, cannot be understated. Mm -hmm. uh, the fear, yeah. the fear and dread associated with the impending torture was usually as bad as the the physical torture itself. Yeah, and 
I had that note in here for, for every device, but I, I really only feel the need to say it once yeah. um, because all of these are, are pretty, pretty intense psychologically. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts so far on this one? I, I don't have any. Don't have any. So we're um, off to a strong start then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Number four, the Iron Maiden. The Iron Maiden. <laughs> I know this. Some of these baby. names are great. Yeah, uh, you are going to know exactly what this is. You, it sounds you, familiar. Yeah, it sounds familiar. You listener will also almost song. almost definitely know as well. I know some of these names are so metal. They're yeah. awesome. <laughs> the Iron Maiden was one of the most infamous torture devices associated with medieval Europe, specifically, uh, thanks in part to its appearance in cartoons and popular media such as Scooby Doo and Tom and Jerry. Oh boy, yeah. I knew immediately it was going to be Tom and Jerry. Yep. So. And I'm sure many, many others as well. And it's yeah. all, I'm also in, in movies and things like that. But. Did you did you watch Tom and Jerry growing up? Oh, yeah. I watched yeah. Tom and Jerry religiously. I did too. Like yeah. like constantly, like yep. every single weekend for sure. Yep. Yeah. That we, was one of our favorites. We had like compilation episodes or compilation videos. Like DVDs of, and VHSs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep, where there's like just like 20 straight episodes. Yeah. And I would watch yeah. those. I would also watch the movies too. I don't remember the movies there, as much. There were a couple movies, but my favorite one, and I, I can't remember what it was called, but um, it was the basic premise is where Tom and Jerry were part of a competition to try and drive around the world or race oh. around the world and, uh, you know, chaos. Yep, yep, yep. They're, yeah. they're typical shenanigans. Real hijinks. Yeah. Real yeah. hijinks. Yeah. So the Iron Maiden uh, is believed to have been primarily used during the 16th and 17th centuries. Uh, the device was shaped like a large upright sarcophagus or cabinet and often made of wood or iron and contained a hinge, hinged door. Okay. The interior of the Iron Maiden was lined with spikes or sharp objects strategically placed to cause maximum pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. The victim would have been forced to stand inside and once the door was closed, they would have been surrounded by these menacing spikes. The door typically had multiple holes or slots to allow the torturers to observe and hear the agonized screams that's, of the victims. That is something else. Wow. Yeah. And that, that's another common thread among these. Um, it wasn't just about inflicting pain on the individuals. It was, it was entertainment. About, yeah. It was about yeah. The, the entertainment value for the torturers and in some cases, you know, the crowds that would gather. Right. Uh, when the door of the Iron Maiden was shut, the spikes would have begun to pierce the victim's body. The spikes were designed to avoid vital organs and major arteries, ensuring that death was prolonged and excruciating. What in the hell? The victim would have experienced unimaginable pain as the spikes penetrated their flesh, causing severe injuries, internal bleeding, and organ damage. Yep. But... Contrary to popular belief, the Iron Maiden was not intended to kill the victim immediately. In my mind, um, with this device, there would be spikes in a sarcophagus-looking thing or a coffin-looking yeah. thing, and then you would be the victim would be forced into the device and shut, and it would pierce through everything and right. kill you immediately. That's what I thought. Yeah, no. No. Instead, it was designed to maximize suffering. The sarcophagus would have been made slightly larger than the average person. Uh, Meeting the spikes would not completely impale them right away. 
Instead, they would be forced to remain awake and upright. And yeah. if they didn't, they would slowly press themselves against the oh super sharp gosh. spikes. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so basically, if you are not alert and unmoving and like tense, staying in one spot, then any movement you're going to get poked. Exactly. Or if not stabbed. Exactly. And yeah. I mean, of course, everybody knows that you can't stay awake for more than a couple days. I mean, at most. At most. And. Also, you can't stay upright. Right. For you definitely can't stay upright for for that long. No. Um. You just kind of you would just fall over. Your legs would just give out at some point. Right. I, I would also imagine that circulation would become a pretty pretty big issue. Yeah. If you can't um, move, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, people. What is it when they lock their knees when they're standing for too long? Like everybody's seen those videos of bridesmaids or groomsmen or people in a in a play or whatnot when yeah. they're standing. Yeah. And they just kind of tip over. Yeah, because you – yeah, I remember being told specifically in, like, school choir, do not lock your knees. Because um, if you stand there for too long with your knees locked, you you will likely just pass right out. Yep. And I've never understood that, but I was always very concerned about it and always made sure to keep my knees loosey-goosey. <laughs> That's why you were always kneeled down. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I was not. I was like, is she, is she pooping? Uh, no. She, like, <laughs> she's no. just standing and singing. Just making sure I don't freaking pass out. <laughs> um, so legend and mythology surrounding the Iron Maiden have added to its infamy, often depicting it as a device with mechanical or movable spikes that would further intensify the torment. However, historical evidence suggests that the Iron Maiden was fixed, uh, primarily relied on fixed spikes or objects within the enclosure. Okay. It's not as intense and wild as certain cartoons and movies make it out to be, right. but it was still a horrible, horrible... It wasn't good. Right, exactly. So the, the exact origins and the extent of its use are subject to debate among historians. The Iron Maiden has become a symbol of the cruelty and sadism associated with medieval Europe. Um, so whether it was used fre- frequently or more as a, as a kind of a theatrical tra- prop uh, to instill fear and extract confessions, it remains as an enduring symbol of the dark and brutal aspects of the medieval justice system. Yeah. That was a mouthful. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number three, the brazen bull. Mm. Also, bull? Like B-U-L-L? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm also assuming you have heard of this one too. I don't know. The brazen bull, also known as the Sicilian bull, which uh, sounds like a bad Italian dish. See, I thought it sounded like a bad um, like drama, like soap opera style drama. It could also be like a male porn star, <laughs> the Sicilian bull. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this uh, torture device was intended, or excuse me, was invented in ancient Greece, but it gained notoriety during the reign of. Valeris of Agoras. I'm sorry, you guys. I, I've already... It sounded okay to me, but I don't have the word in front of me. <laughs> so uh, Agoras was modern-day Argentino Sicily. So Sicily hmm. in Italy. Um, it was invented in the 6th century BCE. The brazen bull was a large, hollow, bronze structure shaped like a life-size bull. Okay. It was ingeniously designed with a door on one side to allow access for the victim and a series of tubes and openings that uh, that were routed through the mouth of the bull would serve as acoustic devices. But more on that later. Okay. The torture process would begin with the victim being placed inside the bull through the door. Uh, once inside, the door would be securely locked, leaving the victim trapped within the bull's belly. The torturers would then light a fire beneath the bull. Oh, I knew that's where this was going. Yeah, gradually heating the metal. Yep. 
So as the fire burned, the bronze, of course, would slowly heat up, enveloping the victim in intense heat. The metal would conduct and retain heat, turning the interior of the bowl into a into a literal oven. Yes. Hundreds of degrees. The victim would, of course, experience excruciating pain as her flesh blistered and burned under the scorching temperatures. And um, one source that I, I found uh, said that the skin would, and I quote, sloth off. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And if you don't know what that means, um, look it up. Ugh. Or don't. Or don't. Yeah, or don't. The mm. bull's design incorporated several ingenious elements to prolong the agony of the victim. Of course so, it did. Yeah, the bull's snout was specifically designed so that the victim's screams would be transformed into an eerie, tortured moan resembling the, the... Yeah, resembling the roar of the bull. Ew. Um, it would amplify their suffering, of course, and also um, was used for the enjoyment of onlookers. This I... was, yeah, this was one of those torture devices that would be in a public square. I mean, they weren't doing this in a dungeon. Yeah, no. This no, was this for was... the people. Right. Um, which it's just so sadistic and, and dark when you think about yeah. how much engineering, medieval engineering went into these. Yeah. Like they, like with the, with the Iron Maiden, like they had like little windows in it and everything so that people could watch them suffer and watch them like yeah. fall into spikes. And yep. then this one, the... That is so weird. Yeah, it's so weird. And um, I actually remember learning about this in history class when we were covering medieval Europe. Mm -hmm. This one stuck with me, which is why I put it in here as number three. Um, And I I almost remember being shown a video or or listening to an audio clip in class of the what it would have sounded like when someone screamed inside. I do not recall that. And and it wasn't, it definitely wasn't human. It wasn't a human Mm. sounding scream at all. It was, it was just, it it did sort of sound like a bull, but mostly it sounded like a dying animal. Yikes. Which I guess was the point. Yes. And the nostrils of the bull were also fitted with metal grates or pipes to prevent the victim from suffocating too quickly. Oh my gosh. So allowing just enough of the smoke um, to pass out of the bowl otherwise smoke inhalation would uh, it would either kill them or or they would be unconscious within a very short time right so can't have that of course not right then you're not getting entertainment the brazen bull was not intended to be a swift execution method but rather a means to inflict prolonged agony on the victim the metal would retain its heat for an extended period ensuring that the victim's suffering would be prolonged before eventually succumbing to death due to severe burns heat stroke, smoke inhalation, or a combination of all three. Yep. While the device was invented in Greece, it gained its strongest foothold in Rome and continued to be used even after the fall of the empire, uh, making it one of the oldest and most feared devices of that time. Okay, so upon further inspection, it is exactly what you are likely picturing. It's a bronze bull, and there's pictures of, what's this called, like animated or... Uh, Rendered? Yes. Illustrated. Illustrated pictures of we're struggling. It's like 9 a.m., which isn't that early. No, no, not at all. I haven't had my coffee, though. I haven't either. Mine's over there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, this just sounds awful. Yeah, these are all terrible. Um, Specifically, yikes. Katie just showed me a picture, and it's the most horrifying animation or horrifying drawing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Yeah, it is messy and it's it's just a picture of the bowl with um with a person inside and they have their it's like it's um you know the scream by was it by van gogh uh no it's not van gogh it's um yeah it's it's slipping my my not rembrandt no 
Okay, so the the painting is by you said Edvard Munch. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So so this uh, brazen bull rendering looks. The person is doing the same thing as Edvard Munch's the scream with the hands over the ears and the they're screaming. It looks horrible. Number two. Okay. The rack. Oh. Yeah, I'm sure most of you will have heard of this one as well. And uh, to be honest, I don't find this one particularly interesting, but. I had to add it because it is possibly the most uh, recognizable torture device. Like, if you saw one of these, you would immediately know that you're in a uh, medieval dungeon. All right. So the rack was a mechanical contraption designed to stretch the victim's body. I knew it. Yes. Inflicting extreme pain and often resulting in permanent damage. Uh, The device consisted of a rectangular frame with a roller on one end and restraints for the victim's limbs. A roller? Yes, a roller. Um, Like, think of like a rolling pin, something that could be uh, cranked back. Okay. Yeah. The victim would be placed on the rack, and their ankles and wrists would be tightly secured to the restraints. The torture would then turn a crank, causing the roller to rotate. As the roller turned, ropes or chains connected to the victim's limbs would be pulled, exerting force and stretching the body. Uh. The primary objective of the rack was to stretch the victim's limbs and joints beyond their natural capacity. The torturer could control the intensity of the stretching by adjusting the speed and force of the crank. The victim would experience intense pain as their joints, muscles, and ligaments were strained and pulled apart. Yeah, that would freaking hurt. Oh yeah. (laughs) As the stretching continued, the victim's limbs would often be dislocated or even oh. torn from their sockets. Oh my gosh. This is fucking terrible. Oh my gosh. Ligaments would be stretched to their limits, resulting in severe strains or complete rupture. Yep. Bones could fracture and muscles could be torn literally apart. Okay, so like, I have to say, I recognize that every one of these has been really bad, but this one is making me so nauseous. Yeah, this one made me cringe when I was when I was writing this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this one is making me because re- I can f- like I can feel the pain. I, more than that, I can hear it. I can oh, hear the oh, that's the, so much worse. The pops the cracks. That is so much worse. In addition to the physical agony, the rack also had a very intense psychological impact. Uh, the creaking sound of the device, coupled with the excruciating pain, would instill fear and despair in the victim. Just knowing that their body was being subjected to relentless stretching and potential potential disfigurement or disability would heighten their suffering. Yeah, that makes sense. The rack was often used as a means of extracting confessions or information from prisoners. The prolonged torture and the threat of further stretching would break the victim's resilience and coerce them into providing the desired information, whether that be true or false. Say that again? Before? The part before that? Uh, the prolonged torture and the threat of the, uh, further stretching would break the victim's resistance and coerce them into providing the desired information. Mm, I don't like that. Because the rack was not necessarily designed to kill the victim, and because it wasn't a particularly complicated design, it very quickly became the most common torture device used in medieval Europe. And most commoners at that time would have heard stories about the dreaded rack. Fun fact... <laughs> If you can call oh. it fun. Um, when someone was injured in medieval times, it was common for people to go to someone trained as a torturer rather than a doctor. Why? Uh, this is because individuals trained in torture generally had a better anatomical knowledge 
than doctors at the time. That's something. Yeah, some believed some believe it's because they wanted the victims to stay alive for as long as possible. So of course they had to have knowledge on what would actually kill the person versus what would keep them alive. Right. And like the location of vital organs and stuff like that. Exactly. That's that's information that I didn't know before. Yeah. It's like um in the uh, 19th century, 1800s when uh, people would go to the their barber to get their teeth pulled. What? Yeah, people would, in that time period, people would go to the barber um, for teeth extractions. Why? Because there was no dentistry wasn't a real, doesn't dentistry wasn't its own profession at the time. Okay, but why the barber? I don't know. The barber had a chair and why not? So the, um, right. the red, white, and blue striped pole outside yeah. of barbers uh, shops, I don't know the exact details on it, but uh, one of the colors represents... Um, they, uh, I believe it's red would represent um, bloodletting because they would also perform bloodletting. Right. Yeah. So if you saw the red spiral, you knew that was a place where you could get some quote unquote medical work done. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could get four teeth pulled and three liters of blood drained all in one day. And cured. your haircut. And, and get your, your haircut. haircut. Yeah. yeah. You are cured. <laughs> all right. Number one, the moment you've all been waiting for. Okay. Uh, this is 100% the worst, in my okay. opinion. Right. Uh, the pair of anguish. Mm. The pear? pear? The pear, P-E-A-R, okay. like the fruit. Like the fruit. Yeah. The pear of anguish, also known as the choke pear, was a terrifying device used during the medieval period and beyond. The device resembled a pear-shaped instrument with a screw mechanism. It was made of metal and it was typically iron or bronze. The pear of anguish was designed to be inserted into one of the victim's orifices, oh. such as the mouth, vagina, or anus. Oh. The device consisted of three sections, a rounded or bulbous top, a middle section with expanding levers or pedals, and a screw mechanism at the base. The torturer would select the appropriate sized pair, depending on the intended orifice and the victim, uh, and it would be forced into the victim's body. Oh my, oh my, oh my. Once inserted, the torturer would slowly turn the screw at the base. Uh, as the screw turned, the quote-unquote leaves or petals of the device would expand outward, gradually opening the device and causing immense pain and damage. Mm -hmm. As the pair of anguish expanded, it would exert intense pain, excuse me, intense pressure on the delicate tissues and organs uh, within the victim's body. If it was used in the mouth, it could cause severe damage to the throat, tongue, and even fracture the jaw. When inserted into the vagina, it could cause lacerations, tears, and sometimes even rupture the uterus. In the anus, it would cause the tearing of the rectal tissue and damage to the intestines, causing extreme internal bleeding. My gosh. Yeah. I'm so nauseous. I am just trying not to pass out. Listen to this whole thing. <laughs> the torture inflicted by the pair of anguish was, of course, excruciating and agonizing for the victim. Yeah. Uh, the victim would experience unbearable pain as the device expanded, stretching their orifice to its limits and causing severe internal injuries. Uh, the damage inflicted could be permanent, leading to lifelong disabilities, internal bleeding, and oftentimes, unfortunately, even death. Yeah, that makes sense because they didn't have, like, knowledge of how to repair this shit. Right. Or sanitary knowledge. I was also going to say, I, I don't think they're going to be cleaning these. No. Yeah. This vile instrument was primarily used as a method of punishment uh, or used to extract confessions via interrogation. Ugh. It was commonly employed 
to punish those accused of crimes such as heresy, blasphemy, and can you guess the third? I don't know. Witchcraft. Oh, of course. Yep. We saved the best for witchcraft. Yeah. But most prevalently, acts considered morally deviant or socially unacceptable. And we all know exactly what that means. Yeah. We're, we're talking uh, homosexual acts. The purpose was not only to inflict pain, but also to humiliate, degrade, and deter others from committing similar acts. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the pair of anguish. Now that we've gone through this horrible journey together, I hope we're a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to ask, if you were forced to be subject to any of these methods, which would you choose and why? And I will not accept none as an answer. Uh, just to recap, we had number five, we had the Judas Cradle, or the Judas Chair. Number four, we had the Iron Maiden. Number three, we had the Brazen Bull. Number two, we had the Rack. And number one, we have the Pair of Anguish. I'm trying to think which one would kill me fastest. I feel like probably... Um, probably the Iron Maiden or the I Brazen the, Bull. That's what I was thinking. I'm leaning yeah. towards the Brazen Bull, despite how... I mean, they're all they're all completely fucked. So that's not... That's... Yeah, that, I can't really take into take that into account. I would say maybe that one. That one. Yeah. What uh, would you say? Mine would be the rack. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and here's why. It would feel good for like no. a, a quarter of a second. No. No, yes, it would. Uh, All right, you're... No, because it's attached to like your, your wrists and your ankles. It's not like, you know, like, like decompression, like spinal decompression. We do that at my work. Um, it's where you, like if you have like a compressed disc or something like that in your spine, um, we hook you up, we, and it essentially pulls you very gradually, but the, you're secured at the hips and at your torso. So your torso is supposed to stay in place and your, your hips are very gradually pulled downwards and that feels good. Yeah, but that's also not a method of torture. (laughs) Because it's your hips and it's a good stretch. If it was pulling your wrists and your ankles, Ouch, dude. Here's my, that would feel good for no time at all. Here's my argument as to why it would feel good for a second. When you wake up in the morning, I – well, when I wake up in the morning, maybe you don't do this as, as a listener, but I stretch straight up. Mm-hmm. I'll stretch my hands straight up, and I'll go on my tippy toes. And straight, I'll stretch like my legs. Yeah, stretch straight upwards oh. toward the ceiling. Um, and that feels wonderful. And also – I forgot what else, uh, my other argument to this, (laughs) um, I think it would just, I think it would feel nice for like a second. I I think it would, it would, it would stretch and then it would immediately not feel great. But also my reason for choosing this one, um, is because they usually wouldn't kill the victim. Mm -hmm. Um, you would usually want it to kill you. Not necessarily. I mean, if you're being tortured, I just want it to be over with as quick as possible. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's just, I think that's just execution. That's not torture. That's fine. Um, under these circumstances. So your answer is the brazen bull. Mine is the rack. Um, let us know what your answer would be. Yeah. Uh, Or let us know if you have, if you're a historian, a medieval historian, and you have more knowledge about these devices or or you want us to mention your favorite device. Yeah. Yeah. Tell (laughs) us if there's something that you know about that we don't that wasn't included in this list because why not, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Let's all go on this journey together. (laughs) But that's going to do it for us this week, everyone. We hope you and I guess enjoyed, I don't know, Ugh. learning about some... Hope you learned something new <laughs> some and you didn't throw up. Dark history. Uh, let's all be thankful that these devices are long in the past. Um, but before we go, I did want to mention the sources for this list. We have 
uh, it's a pretty short list this this week. We have King Richard the Third Visitor Center informational material. We have Medieval Times and Castles, uh, the article, the, the web article, and lastly the historian, excuse me, the history of torture by Brian Innes. Before we go as well, I'd also like to invite you to follow us on social media and follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, it would really help us out and we would appreciate it. And also you'd be notified when the new episodes come out. Yes. Um, we've been on a consistent every Sunday afternoon is when we release uh, 2 p.m. Ish. to be exact. Uh, we have been scheduling yeah. our episodes. So uh, it's generally right at, right at 2 p.m. Mm-hmm. The new episode will pop up. Um, but yeah, again, at Chronicles of Curiosity podcast on Instagram. Give us a follow and wherever you listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. And that is going to be it for this week. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye.